0: get access to exclusive content and become part of the team you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash that's patreo dot com hey everyone i'm rod roddenberry and you're listening to trek fm
1: these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to another episode of literary treks your dedicated star trek books and comics show here on trek fm i'm one of your hosts dan gunther and joining me as he always is is bruce gibson bruce how are you today
0: i'm having like an off day It's just, everything's just been a little weird today and I'm just off. I don't even know if I'm really here right now or maybe (laughs) I'm some alternate Bruce from another timeline or alternate universe. I'm not really sure, but at least I'm familiar with the show to know that you're a common thing that I can always count on to be here and nothing has changed. It's the same old, same old literary treks, and that makes me feel good.
1: Exactly. Well, I mean, I don't exactly know where you are, but wherever you are, I'm there with you. This has been a bit of a crazy week, but the one constant in our life is uh, talking about Star Trek books and comics. And we've also got a special guest joining us this week. Oh, good. Matthew now, I know Rushing's here again. Exactly. I know, I know what everyone out there is thinking. Exactly. Matthew's back again. He said he'd stay away, but actually, no, it's not Matthew. Uh, we have a new face sitting out there. Why don't you introduce yourself?
2: I'm not a new face. I've been here before. <laughs> <laughs> but you weren't here when I was here before, Dan. Bruce was here. We talked about an Enterprise novel.
0: Oh, that's, that's right. true. That's why. Yeah. Okay. That was like, yeah. like, no, that was like spring of last year. It was year like a year ago. Like
2: and I actually, yeah. I, I, I was so busy at that time. I was knee deep in this rewatch and I almost didn't have time to read the book. So I called in sick. So I could read the novel, so I could make sure that I was on literary tracks that day, and I read like 400 pages of that novel that day.
0: I remember that. Yeah, you called in sick, and you spent the whole day reading the (laughs) book. I'm so glad my boss
2: doesn't listen to this podcast. That is dedication. (laughs)
0: That is so dedication there. See, already my day was getting better, because now, having Brandon on, I thought, oh my gosh, now that's really throwing me off in this strange day, because I'm not used to Brandon being on, but I am, because we did that one time, and and- you're so dedicated so we're good
2: we're good i like this. i guess i'll introduce myself it's brandon from uh melodic tracks and warp five
1: excellent well it's great to have you on the show and i have to say if i were your boss uh being sick to read a star trek novel
2: i'd accept oh that. good uh, you should tell all bosses that <laughs> i would just call in sick all the time excellent. and read star trek books all the time
1: <laughs> no that's that's not a bad I'd, idea i'm I,
2: really I, confused I, though um like, this is a literary Trek show. I don't know why you wanted to talk about this, this season two episode of Deep Space Nine, the third part of a three-part series. Why did you want to talk about this episode?
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. The Siege, when I was, uh, that's that's the novel we're going to be talking about novel. today. Uh, every, yeah, every time I Googled The Siege, Deep Space Nine, that, that, damn episode came up, but no, it's not the episode, it's it's a novel. It's
0: well, Wait, 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 because Brandon took the day off today to watch that one episode. It took me all day to watch
2: that episode.
0: That's <laughs> well, a good episode, but <laughs>
1: unfortunately not, not what we're talking about today, or fortunately, I don't know. But uh, first, actually in the news, we do have a couple of comics that we want to talk about. Uh, some new releases in the comic world. First up is Boldly Go number five. Uh you might remember issues 1 through 4 were that Borg story that we definitely had some mixed feelings about but Boldigo number 5 takes a different tack and starts a new story off with one of my favorite characters Jayla. What did you guys think of this comic?
0: I loved it. I mean I this this was a great comic for a couple reasons. One, it's Jayla. Okay, more than a couple reasons. Two, it's her backstory. And three, it was all self-contained story. And number four, it was a a good story. I really enjoyed it. Brandon, what did you think of it?
2: I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, I was a little bit thrown off by the format of the storytelling at first because they start, they, they ta- tell a couple of pages like just before uh, Star Trek Beyond and then they tell a couple pages just before that and then a couple pages just before that. And so it slowly goes back in time throughout the whole comic book. And honestly, it felt like I was reading, you know, a different version of the episode, Voy- Voyager's episode before and after, where Kess starts growing young after she gets old. Like, that's kind of how it felt, because they just kept jumping backwards and backwards. So I, I don't know, the-, the-, the format of the story was a little bit odd. And it took me a while to kind of get into it. But I really did enjoy the story. I thought it was good. Um, considering on the digital copy that we have where they've got all the covers and how page two has a picture of Scotty on it, I was a little bit surprised that Scotty wasn't even in the comic. But you know, but it was good. I liked it.
1: Yeah, I had, uh, I had much the same thought you did. I was totally thinking of before and after as well. And I was waiting to see the doctor show up with hair or something. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was definitely a different way to do it and a little bit jarring at first, but once you get into the story, I really ended up enjoying this one as well. We go right back to Jayla's birth and how she's going to be the fierce one. And I think she definitely lives up to her name in Star Trek Beyond. And I'm really excited to see where her story goes in the uh, rest of the Boldly Go series.
0: I, I feel like I read a story like this before recently in a Star Trek comic where it did this kept going back in time. I don't know what it was, but when I was reading this, it seemed familiar to me as if we'd seen this somewhere else in a recent Star Trek comic. And, and maybe it wasn't Star Trek, but that's really the only comics I've been reading the last year or so is Star Trek. Surprise, surprise. But, uh, <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> but I mean, even the likeness of the characters of Jayla looks great in here. And I just really enjoyed finding out how she ended up On this planet and where she came from before and especially the very last page of this and how it ended, not in the past, but in the current situation that she's in. Let's just put it that way.
1: Well, there was also another comic that we got the opportunity to look at this week. And this one is the second issue of the Stranger Worlds miniseries, which is the second. You're right. The third issue of the second Green Lantern comic series. It's too many numbers. It's hard to keep track of here. But yeah, uh, and it's it's the uh the second Green Lantern series, third issue. And this one was extra special because before we even get into the story, we should point out there's this beautiful variant cover done by none other than Trek FM's own Aaron Harvey.
0: Ooh, Ooh yeah. Look at that. Variant yeah, cover ha- from a Trek FM person.
1: Yeah, how cool is that? And it's, it's a beautiful cover, too. I really like this one. It's really bold with those green colors and the Enterprise and the, and the Green Lantern coming up through the middle. Just gorgeous. So shout out to you, Aaron. Nice job.
0: Yeah, and in the background, there's a bunch of stars. And I saw somewhere where he pointed out that he, he slipped in a Trek FM little Delta shield somewhere in the background and also a little Bonaventure from the animated series. And I yeah, I saw I saw he'd posted that. It's it's absolutely minuscule on this
1: cover, so it's really hard to find. But once you find where they are, you, you'll see them. But trust me when I say they're very tiny on there, very see, hard. See, I to
2: saw find. where he posted it on the Babel conference, but I don't see it on my digital copy here. I'm zooming it. And I saw where he enlarged it. I just don't see him on here.
0: Yeah, I'm having a hard time, too. The, the Delta,
1: for example, like it just looks like another star, but it's, uh, okay, if you look in the bottom left-hand corner, mm-hmm. go straight up from the DC, there's there's a star. Oh, there the it is, over there. Yeah, okay, I star. see it. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That second one, is it? And then the Bonaventure is somewhere off on the right. Oh, it's yeah, <laughs> it's off on the
2: right. It, it's if you go on the planet, or on there's like a Aaron's initials and there's a planet, and you go straight up from there and there's like a bend in the green light it's it's kind of in the middle of the grooves so i can Mm -hmm. see it there too yeah cool
1: yeah if you're looking at it from a distance it kind of looks like just a slightly elongated star and once you once you see that there's one that's not perfectly round that's the one you're looking
2: congratulations aaron
1: yeah very cool we're we're fans of this cover yeah
2: we can't wait to get our
0: autograph covers from you (laughs) (laughs) hint hint So, moving
1: on from that, what uh, what did you guys think of the story?
0: Um, you know, again, I'm really liking these Star Trek Green Lantern stories. And I'm even loving this more because my daughter was seeing me reading this, and she's a big DC fan. And, I mean, she, she likes the new Star Trek, the Kelvin Timeline movies, but she saw me reading this, and she says, Wait, that's Green Lantern with Star Trek? That looks really cool. Wait, is that, like, the same, like actors from the movies? I'm like, yeah, it is. She's like, oh, that's so cool. And I said, do you want to read it? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, she's (laughs) going to read her first Star Trek. Even though Green Lantern's in there, it's like half of the, it's just Star Trek. But you know, it's something Star Trek that she's actually going to read, which she told me she would never do. So I hope she doesn't listen to this because then she'll hear me say that and she'll say, oh, you know what? You're right. I shouldn't read it. (laughs)
1: Well, that's the kind of thing. Like I got to think the ID, the folks at IDW just love to hear that. Because, you know, that's a new potential customer and there might be more people out there. What if, that, what if she, know, she loves it?
0: What if she loves Star Trek after reading it? She starts reading the others. So, you know, I even showed her the Jayla, and I could tell she was somewhat interested in that one, too. So we'll see what happens. But I will say I have to correct something because I'm not a perfect person. I know, Dan, you're surprised by this. I am not perfect. So I have said, yeah, I, I know. Exactly. All, all of my everything I've based my life on is just shattered. I, I I'm so sorry. Don't don't <laughs> cry. We'll uh, we'll work through it. But I misread something. I read that the volume 1 graphic novel was coming out in April, but I didn't realize it was April 2016. I kept thinking it was coming oh. out this April, but it already came out. And thank you Jared Cooper for pointing that out to me. And so I read Volume 1 just the other day, so I'm all caught up on Star Trek Green oh, Lantern. Excellent. So that Very being cool. said, I've liked this issue,
2: and so far I've liked them all.
0: Excellent. So Brandon, what are your thoughts on uh,
1: Stranger Worlds Issue 3? Um,
2: I thought it was an interesting idea. Like, what, how much can we talk about it here?
1: Yeah, I think um, generally speaking, we don't give away the, the ending. But, okay, so can I, uh, can
2: I say that cons in here? Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah, because he showed up at the end of the last issue. So so so
2: Khan getting this ring, I think, is pretty cool, and it's it's a neat twist on it. Um, It's a way to keep it fresh and a way to keep it new Star Trek and a way to keep it interesting. So I thought that was really, really good. Uh, All that I've read, I've read exactly now nine comics that have the Green Lantern in them and all nine of them also happen to have Star Trek people in them. So I don't know much of the Green Lantern <laughs> stuff myself and the Green Lantern history. I haven't seen the movie or anything, but uh, I'm I'm enjoying it and I think they've done a really good job of of making it accessible for somebody that doesn't know the other franchise.
1: Yeah, Brandon, you and I are once again in the same boat because all of these issues are all I've ever seen of the Green Lantern. I haven't even seen the mm-hmm. film. So I, know, I knew nothing about Uh, him or that universe going into this. And you're absolutely right. They've made it a really cool way to kind of introduce that world and have these two worlds come together. And as someone who isn't familiar with all of that, I I find that very, um, very helpful and, and very considerate, you know, because it's actually made me very interested in this universe. And, you know, maybe I'll check something out in Green Lantern that doesn't feature I like the look of this but...
2: guy in green that's like he's got like a pink head and he's really large,
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm so sorry, I don't remember what his name is <laughs> yeah i don't
2: I don't know either, I didn't catch it, but I don't know. I like the look of that guy. I think it's interesting, like this I'm going off on a tangent here because I don't know this stuff, but there's a whole bunch of people that are wearing green. So, you know, I guess there's more than one green lantern, I guess. I don't know.
0: Yeah. So you have several green lanterns and then there can also be several blue lanterns and, and purple lanterns and, and each ring and there's red and yellow and the red and yellow are more the aggressive and the more mean people seem to get chosen by those rings. And a lot of this I'm speaking from just reading the volume one recently. Mm -hmm. So it was explaining how the different color rings, it goes and finds the right people That sets uh, that it fits more comfortable with. So the red is looking for somebody who's aggressive and has got a lot of anxiety and is looking, is evil and whatever. So, of course, the red ring in this issue chooses Khan. Mm -hmm. And we have the augments here, which we didn't see in the Kelvin timeline. We're now seeing them here. And one of my favorite lines is this After the ring chooses Khan, he turns to his people and says, My appearance has changed since you last saw me centuries ago. (laughs) It's like, yeah, you're some white guy with a British accent now.
2: (laughs) Yes. See con issue one.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Because you got to think all these guys being woken up are like, okay, who's who's this this guy? guy. What's going on here?
0: (laughs) Yeah. And they're like, oh, okay. He says he's con. So yeah, I guess he's con. We'll
2: follow him. Works for me. (laughs)
1: I mean, he squished that guy's head. So, uh, yeah, he's probably con. Well, we'll go with that. Yeah, he's con. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> but also, to be able to read this comic and picture and hear Benedict Cumberbatch's voice in your head, you know, that's a special treat, too, because, you know, he's pretty Did awesome. Did you
2: like his line? Shall we continue? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> I thought that was, yeah, a nice little nod, a little bit on the nose, but yeah. It's pretty good. Well, if you'd like to get into contact with us on anything we talk about in this show, like the Green Lantern comics, if you love con in it, if you hate con in it, if you want to talk about Aaron Harvey's awesome cover, you can get in contact with us on the Trek FM website. Go to trek.fm slash contact. You can leave us a voicemail. Just look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. You can find us on Twitter at Trek FM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. While you're on Facebook, check out The Babel Conference. Just type The Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook. Or you can go to our website at trek.fm and click Discussion on the menu bar. Now, Bruce, where's another great place on the internet for listeners of Literary Treks to engage with the show?
0: The great place would be Goodreads. Maybe we should call it Great Reads, but it's called Goodreads. And if you're not on Goodreads, then I encourage you. If you're a reader of books and you like to read reviews and maybe discuss and and follow what other people are reading, go to Goodreads.com and uh, set up an account. And when you're there, look for us at Literary Tracks and you can join our group. You just go in there and you. Uh, click to join the group and then we get an email alerting us and more than likely we will approve you and then of course once you and the reason we don't approve you well then there must be something really wrong it's because you have a red ring it exactly Ah, yep a red ring and you don't look like yourself So then we'll uh, let you in the group, and then you can join any of the discussions on the Star Trek books and keep up to see what we have coming up in future episodes that we will be reading and discussing.
1: Also, if you say in your profile that you hate the Vanguard novels, I might not approve you, but Bruce or Matt probably will, so it's okay.
0: I won't. No.
1: (laughs) No, I'm kidding. All right. Well, why don't we jump into the discussion and talk about The Siege? Not the episode, the book. Well, for this episode, we got the chance to read a classic Deep Space Nine episode. This one is from the very early days of the Deep Space Nine novel series. In fact, it's the second novel, Deep Space Nine, number two, The Siege, by none other than veteran Star Trek author, Peter
0: David. So first off, uh, The Siege, what's it all about? You said we read a classic episode. We did not read a classic episode. <laughs> it's just. As did I say episode? You did, yeah. Brandon, you've got me doing it.
1: <laughs> no, it's not an you episode. You've got me all turned around on this.
0: <laughs> yes, there was an episode, but it's with the same name, but that's not this book. And yeah, this was the second book. So this book came out in 93, and I remember buying this because the first book was The Emissary. It was the novelization of the pilot episode. And I read that at the time. And then this book came out sometime a few months after or so. It's really interesting because I don't remember a lot of details about this book the first time I read it because it was such a long time ago. So I don't remember what my impressions of it were then. But it's interesting to read a book now that the series has been on We've gone through seven seasons, and we've known this series for years and years. And it's like, okay, so how does a book that was written with only a few episodes under its belt, how does it hold up today? And we'll reveal that as we talk through this. But uh, Peter David is one of my favorite authors, and so I was very happy to read this once again.
2: Yeah, it's been a long time since I've read it. I, I bought it originally when it came out as well. Um, you know, I've always bought the books as soon as they've come out and it's like you say, it's weird because there's so many references to a few first season episodes. Like he says in the, uh, in the opening preface to it, he's like, I had access to the first five or six episodes in the Bible and that's all that I could reference. I couldn't reference anything past that. And he referenced all of them. Like, he dropped as much information on the previous episodes as he possibly could. Like, Memory Beta had this as a release date of May 1st, 93, which is just after the episode Battle Lines, which was episode number 13. If you count Emissary as 2, it was episode 13. You know, so this is really early in its run. And uh, me, like you, it's, it's Peter David. He's one of my favorite Trek authors. And I remember loving it, but there was things in this book... That I had gotten confused with other books of the time period, like the uh, the the Borg ship in the very first, like the very beginning. I actually thought that was from the next novel, Bloodletter, uh, which was by K. W. Jeter. So I had actually was actually pleasantly surprised that it was in this book. But um, yeah, because it's been so long since I've read all of them, right?
0: But now, didn't you tell me the other day that you've read this book more than once? Not counting this time, but you read it a few yeah, times.
2: Yeah, I think this is the fourth time I've actually read this book. I've I've always loved this book. Um, and it's been one of my favorite these Space Nine novels. I've really enjoyed it. And it, it is interesting, like you said, how does it hold up, you know, 20-some years later here now, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's been a long time. I mean, even my cover is starting to change colors on the inside because it's so old. But it's... It's also interesting, the um, this book, I mean, obviously, I think you're going to give it a good rating, Brandon, when we get to the end of the show, but this Spoiler was... Spoiler alert. This, this was, <laughs> exactly, this was your suggestion. We read this because you picked it
2: yeah well and I picked it because well there's a couple of reasons why I picked it you know um I've listened to just about all the episodes of literary treks now I lost I fell behind a bit on last year's rewatch when I was doing the from there to here but um you know you guys haven't covered a lot of Peter David novels and he's such a great author and you haven't covered a lot of really early novels so I thought it would be fun to do that and so the reason why I picked this one though as well is because it is one of my favorite Star Trek novels and it's one that I've read multiple times I think this is probably the Star Trek book that I've actually read the most.
1: Very cool. Well, this is, uh, you know, different from the two of you. I have never read this book before. So this was my first time reading this novel. And I love that there are so many older novels that I've never read. And it's fun to read them because it's a little glimpse back into that early period of time in Deep Space Nine. And, you know, for all of the for the fact that it was written before the show even aired and he only had access to the, the materials that the show was kind of built around. It's actually it really evocative of the first season of deep mm-hmm. space nine. I feel like Peter David really managed to kind of channel the mood and tone for the most part that we got during that season. So uh, this was a really enjoyable read for me. Um, uh, you know, a few few issues with it that we'll get to in the discussion, I'm sure. But definitely first impressions uh, a lot better than what I was expecting.
0: That's great. Because, you know, when it comes to these early novels, when they're written in a first season, they don't always match up well with what we learn of the characters as the series progresses. Like, for example, I think the first couple books or so, uh, The Next Generation there's scenes where Troy refers to Will Riker as Bill. And it's throughout the book where she says, you know, oh, Bill, how are you or whatever. And that's, of course, you know, we've never heard Troy call Riker Bill. It was always Will. So just once in the naked time, well, if you're listening carefully. That's true,
1: yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they, they, they got rid of that pretty quickly. But
0: there's other things that, you know, you'll read and it's like, well, that character doesn't quite match up or, oh, you know, I don't think they quite got Yeah, they went in different. The author didn't know Data well enough, and so Data has more emotion than he did in the series, whatever it was. But in my opinion, and of course, I want to hear what you guys think, I thought all these characters were spot on. There was nothing really in this novel that stood out. Like big to me that I would say like uh, no this this doesn't fit right in the DS nine that we know today. I thought all the characters sounded great. I thought their interactions were perfect. There were several times I busted out laughing out loud, and I usually don't do that when I read
2: a novel. There was one line in here that maybe I just read it long wrong. Sorry. Um, it's right in chapter one when he says, Miles O'Brien, square jawed, curly haired. And the most aggressively patient individual on DSpace9 smiled broadly, which was the only way he was capable of smiling. That's the only, like, he did capture O'Brien well, but that description doesn't quite seem right to me. So, unless you're, like, aggressively patient, you're just like, like, is that aggressively patient? Or, I don't know, (laughs) like, what do you think aggressively patient means?
1: And and also not something that I would really ascribe to O'Brien. Like, I've I've seen him kind of lose his temper a little bit. So is that aggressively patient? Is that
2: like an oxymoron where he's saying he's not patient at all? So Yeah, I don't know. And then the only weird line right there too was when he was trying to show this trick to Keiko and she's like, I wouldn't kick a small dog while it's down or something. And I'm like, what the heck kind of line is that?
0: (laughs) Well, Keiko always says something weird anyway, you know? Well, so, but the going back to what you're saying about Bashir, that doesn't even match up with what happens in the novel because that was that leads then O'Brien. later to a scene. Oh, I'm sorry, what did I say? Bashir, Bashir, yeah, we'll get to Bashir later. But O'Brien later in the novel gets into a real like shouting match with Cisco, which I thought was a little uncharacteristic for. For Well, not quite for O'Brien, but just the way they're kind of going at each other just felt like it was a little maybe too much for those characters.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So there's a couple of misses in here. But honestly, for the most part, this really did feel like a good season one episode like it could have been an episode you know the characters were pretty much spot on there was a few misses but again you got to give the guy I, I would never hold that against the book especially considering the fact this was written before it aired you know um, mm-hmm. the only character that I think he really missed the mark on was Dukat but again we had only seen Dukat in the pilot by this point I think I don't like I don't think we saw Ducat again for a little while in the in season one, if at all again in season one. But uh, so honestly, I give I give props to writing such a well fitting novel.
1: Agreed, yeah. There's there are a lot of and it's actually funny what you say about Ducat too because later in the novel I think he's very out of character. There's there's some things, but a particular line here and there when he first shows up. Uh, when he's communicating with Cisco, boy, did it ever feel like Ducat. Like, it's funny how many, there are many more hits, I think, in this book than misses. Uh, there are a few things I did, and I mean, this is being really picky. Uh, early in the novel, I think Cisco said, damn it, or damn, like every third word or something. and it, was, it kind of leapt off the page to me. I was like, that's, okay, it's a little weird. Like, yeah, he's he's got that hard streak to him, but it just seemed a little out of place. But a few he's times. done
2: that in the show, though, too, you know? Like, there was that one scene but he has, where he's like, but... we've had some damn good fights when he was talking about working with the Bajorans and stuff, you know? So, yeah, I think that was mm. in Homecoming. Like, I think that was actually in the three parter when he said that. But, um, yeah. you know, like, I don't know. That even there didn't seem too much out of character for Cisco for early Cisco.
1: No, I, it just to me felt like a little bit too much. Like he saw that in the script a couple times, and then just left mm-hmm. on that, and there was like five of them in two pages mm-hmm. or something. And I'm going, okay, yeah, no, that's a bit much.
0: Yeah, I thought I thought it all tasted good. I'm I'm just thinking, Dan, as you're talking, it's like when you're eating something really good, and maybe there's just one bite it was like, hmm, that, that was a little strange, it was a little off. That's how I feel. This book was like for the most part, mm-hmm. it all was well. It was just one little bite that maybe not.
2: It's like but a, a bag of well. potato chips, they're all good, and then you get that one chip that's burnt, and you're just like, I'll eat it anyways. <laughs>
0: How did you know I do that? Because <laughs> I do it. Everybody does that. It was gonna waste a chip. Because everybody waste does a that. Chip? Exactly.
1: <laughs> but yeah, no, that's very true. And I, it goes back to what I was saying. Like I was expecting this to be very much an early TNG novel, which, or like that early DC mini series from TNG, where they're just like, "Wow, this is way out there and nothing like the show." But you know, reading it it was, it was really great. It really matched up in a lot of cases. The other one that I thought a couple times just slipped a bit out of character was Odo, but I think that was just due to the fact that so much of the story focused on him that, you know, there's going to be a few notes that, that just don't quite fall correctly. But I mean, like I said, that's being very, very picky. And for the most part, this was this was really good. This was much better than I was expecting, character-wise.
0: Yeah, I kept expecting Keiko to call O'Brien Bill because it's the first <laughs> season. <laughs> but no, let me just go to this because I because I, I said you know there's several things in here that makes me laugh and I feel like the characters are spot on. And I usually don't read from a book on the show, and I'm I'm not going to read much. I'm just kind of paraphrase through some of this. But okay, so there's a scene where Quark and this other Frankie named Glav they come up to Ops. And Kira's like, you know, okay, guys, you're clogging up ops. Get out of here. And then Dax, very diplomatically, she turns to them and says, well, may I help you? And Glav says, in ways that you could not possibly dream. And Quark is like, this is Lieutenant Dax. Dax, this is Glav. And Glav is like, a beautiful woman covered from head to toe in clothing. You Starfleet women certainly know how to tease. And Dax is like, Kira. Is fully clothed, clothed as well. You made no such remarks about her. And Glav blew air through his lips. Goes, Psh, Bajoran women, ice princesses, the lot of them. It's said that their noses look that way because they're so used to wrinkling them in disgust at the thought of sex. And Kara's like, okay, that's it. Security. <laughs> I was like, I could so see the scene on, on Deep Space
2: Nine. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Totally. Like. Season one Kira,
1: where, for example, in Battle Lines, she comes out of the office just raving mad about how she's described in an old Cardassian file like that, that when her voice goes up like that, that's totally how I read that scene. That was perfect. (laughs) Excellent. Well, moving on from that, um, one thing that I kind of noticed about this story and. I'm not, I'm not saying that I was put off by it or anything like that. It was kind of, it fit the tone of the story, but did you guys notice that the story seemed to be a lot more violent than the typical oh, that's Peter David. Star Trek story? Yeah, it definitely Have is. Have you read and, New and Frontier, like not, man? Not, not just violent, but like graphically Have so. you
2: read New Frontier? <laughs> that's Peter David, man. Oh yeah. Like th- like that's, I like the New Frontier novels and I like Peter David, but his books are like crazy graphic violent you know, and which is so odd for Star Trek. So I don't know, to me, that's just, that's just Peter David.
1: I just, you know, some of the stuff, and and I really, I thought it brought an interesting tone to this, especially given that Deep Space Nine at the beginning was described as, you know, the darker, grittier Star Trek. So I thought maybe Peter David was really, really channeling that idea too. I mean, you've got a, a serial killer changeling, maybe, who's, you know, Writing number two, number three on the walls in blood—you know, just stuff that you wouldn't see on the show at all—that I thought lent this uh, novel a really dark tone. That was a lot of fun to read. Yeah,
0: I I felt that if if Deep Space Nine were rated PG this would have been a pg-13 i mean it wasn't like it was too violent or too graphic there were just certain scenes and like you said the number one number two number three written in blood i i think one of the most grossest things is when
2: this uh spoiler alert it's like a head the on she- the table what it was like a scene where the woman's heads cut off and put on the table
0: well yeah there was that but i was PG-13? thinking about when the changeling goes into well okay I
2: fear for your children <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey have you seen peach have you seen gotham i mean come on you got you see stuff like that on gotham but the changeling goes into the cardassian basically b- blows him up yeah <laughs> like, inside of him yeah there was just a few little scenes like that that yeah were pushing it but the rest yeah. of it felt like uh, an episode to me
1: yeah, definitely, and 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 like I said, it's not something that put me off or anything like that. You know, it was a, it was a nice, it, nice. <laughs> it was an it was interesting, a nice bloody scene. In tone and I for liked Star it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I it 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 lent itself well to the tone of the novel, and I think I think Peter David did a really interesting job of of making that universe seem a lot darker than it usually is, and
0: sexier because he does include. There weren't any sex scenes in here, but as Brando was pointing out, you know, the way Peter David writes, he does put more sexuality into some of his books. And, you know, Quark and Glav are on the holodeck playing, was it, Tri- program x 3 X 3 And Kira and Dax are, I guess they don't wear clothes or they're dancing. No, they're dancing.
2: And the clothes come off.
0: They come off. Yeah. And Bashir walks in. I was like I expected a I wanted such a bigger reaction from Bashir and we didn't get that. I was a little disappointed from that.
1: Yeah, it's kind of too bad that it you know, things things come to a head right then and there, you know, so the changeling or the, or the changeling in quotes attacks, so we don't we don't really get to see his immediate reaction to that beyond just, you know, that few seconds. Uh so when he comes down hard on them later about it you know, yeah, I would have loved to have seen a little bit more of the the shock that of uh, that, that moment
2: would have You would caused have loved to have seen sure. a little bit more of the program too.
1: Well I don't well, know. Well you do have to visualize
0: <laughs> what you're reading in your head, so Dan reread that scene several times.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was I actually had a bit of a hard time reading that scene because all I could picture Kira was just like being so pissed off <laughs> at the circumstances, I was like, I I can't I can't see it. True. Like it's just not. Yeah, uh, yeah, those those dirty dirty Ferengi. Ugh. So another aspect of this story is the religious pilgrims or the the missionaries that come aboard the station, and they're they want to go through the wormhole. But the wormhole is currently closed because, you know, a Borg ship came through it and was destroyed. So it's it's doing something that's that's crushing ships and it's being all dangerous. Let's actually just for a second talk about the Borg coming through the wormhole. At first when I read this, I thought, wait, the Borg? <laughs> Deep Space Nine? Like what's what's going on here? But then, almost brilliantly, the novel kind of takes care of it with Cisco explaining to Jake you know, setting his mind at ease Well, the Borg went through this thing and one of their ships was destroyed. So they'll never go through it again. Like they'll just steer clear of it. And I was like, Oh yeah. Problem solved. That's why they never show up in deep space nine again. I
0: thought that was brilliant. I mean the same thing. I'm like, okay, so we have Borg coming through in the wormhole and get destroyed. Okay. Like it didn't bother me, but it was like, you know, we typically don't see the Borg, even though they're in the very first opening shot of The Emissary. But regardless of that, we don't really see Borg anymore in Deep Space Nine. So we introduce them here. They get destroyed. And then when that's explained, it's like, well, that's why we haven't seen Borg. And kudos to Peter David to predict that seven <laughs> seasons later we will not see Borg. and they're like, They'll never come through here. Just imagine if Borg did show up on Deep Space Nine. Then Peter and David would be like, ah, screw it. That just ruined my whole novel. <laughs>
1: I do kind of wonder why they 're not a little bit more worried that Borg cubes seem to be kind of just tooling around the gamma quadrant, but you know that 's okay we'll we'll forgive them that so getting back to the uh religious missionary story so they they 're stuck on the station because they can 't go through the wormhole, and they have this leader Maz Marco who's you know a little bit of kind of this this fundamentalist guy um again they're they 're not really pushing their religion on other people, but they're being very uh they they're, they're doing missionary work they're evangelists and trying to encourage people to join their faith on uh, the promenade They have a little stand set up and they notice the the crew notices that one of one of the members of this group seems kind of sickly and it's mas marco 's son now he has a disease called panoria and he's very close to death. You know, he's only a few months away, few years at the outside of dying from this disease. But the believe the followers of this religion believe that it is the will of their God. I'm gonna say Colker is kind of how that's I was how I said it too. Yeah. It. yeah. Uh it's his will that, you know, all things are his will, and this kid has this disease, so obviously their God wants that to happen and he will join them in their version of heaven and that sort of thing. But Bashir, of course, can't sit idly by and watch this happen. So it kind of goes to uh, some, you know, broad means to make the mother want to cure their kid. Now, have either of you ever watched Babylon 5? No, I haven't. No, I haven't either. It's too bad. There's season one of Babylon five is, is kind of rough around the edges, but there's a really great episode in season one called believers. And this story was very, very similar to that. So in that story, there's a, a couple, they come to the station and their kid is having trouble breathing. And the doctor, you know, examines him and says, Oh, it's a small operation to remove this obstruction in his, you know, air airway. Uh, But they forbid it because, you know, anyone, no one can be cut open because then their soul will escape and their religion believes that. And I don't want to, I'm not going to spoil that episode. It ends much more tragically than this one does. And this one actually ends fairly tragically. So, you know, if you get a chance, you should watch that. But... Peter David also had a lot of involvement in Babylon 5. He wrote a number of episodes. He didn't write that episode. That episode was actually written by David Gerald, another uh, Star Trek alumni. But I was kind of wondering if there might be a connection there uh, because Peter David worked on Babylon 5. And it actually, this episode would have come out around the same time because it was kind of 93, 94, I think, season one of Babylon 5 was. So uh, I don't know. Just kind of a... Idle wondering for any listeners out there that are familiar with that episode, you know do you did you guys kind of notice some similarities there? I'd be curious to hear what you think about that.
2: know, yeah, I wish I'd seen that episode. I'd never seen it. Um, I like this plot line a lot, but I gotta say though you sent the guy's name wrong. it's not Maz Marco, it's Maz yeah <laughs> every time I read it, I just kept saying Maz Kanada. In my head, but anyways. um,
0: And and for those who don't know, that's from Star Wars The Force Awakens.
2: (laughs)
1: I kind of wanted to keep shouting Maz Polo after every time I heard his name, but, you know,
0: Maz Marco, Maz Polo, but anyway.
2: Oh, gosh.
0: (laughs) Well, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, we just found the title to this episode.
2: Maz Marco, Maz Polo.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, write that one down. This was a
2: it was an interesting <laughs> subplot as well, and it it was a very Star Trek subplot. Like this is something that you would definitely see in an episode. It's something believable for an episode that you would see on screen, and it's believable for Bashir's character. You know, this is a guy who who doesn't want to say no when he thinks he can heal somebody. You know, I mean look at the episode The Quickening, right, from D Space Nine, where he's just wants to heal him. Now, this one he doesn't have to find the cure, there already is a cure. But in this, he pursues it with the same vigor of trying to convince this woman to have her son healed.
0: Yeah, he's very deceiving. I I wasn't sure how I felt about this because I applaud him for wanting to save a life. But at the same time, you know, we are dealing with a rule that we have in the Federation. I mean, this is a religion. If they're they're not doing anything because of religious reasons— to save their son, then we shouldn't get involved. I mean, their their religion said that, uh, what did we say, coker? Coker is Col- what I said. Coker. That mm-hmm. colker is going to make the decision whether he lives or dies. It's not their place to make that decision if he's going to survive this illness or not. But Bashir's doing everything he can to counter that and say, you know, basically, forget your religion in your beliefs. We can save your son. And he's not, I mean, again, you want to save a life, but he's, he's going against their religion. I mean, and and he's, and he's misleading uh, the mother into a hollow suite to see images of her son dying, to convince her to show up to the infirmary and get this done. And I really thought at the end of this book, he was going to Catch a lot of crap for that from Cisco, and it's alluded to that he did get some crap from him, but I really expected a really powerful scene about whether we should go there or not yeah it's it's definitely
1: very heavy handed what Bashir does, and you know yeah it's 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 always noble to want to save a life, and you know that's very fitting in with what we know of Bashir and what we learn of him later, so you know kudos to Peter David for for getting that character trait, right. But yeah, there, it was definitely a little further than I was expecting him to go. And, but I, I was also expecting kind of the hammer to fall on him, uh, from Cisco, not, not the hammer to fall on him from the changeling. That's something else. And and thankfully it doesn't happen to him, but (laughs) yeah, no, it, it, it's definitely something that I thought you know, for for the setup we get with that, I think it could have used a little bit more exploration, a little more fallout. I would have really been interested to see that.
0: Yeah, I thought that I expected that. I expected it. Not that I want to see it, I expected it. And we didn't get mm. that. So I was a little disappointed with that. But I mean the rest of the story I thought was fabulous. But it's interesting too that Maz Marco, Maz Polo, points out <laughs> that you know, they have similar laws themselves about non-interference. They don't interfere with their God. They do not decide what their God is, is going to do or not. They allow God to make that decision. So there's no interference in the decision of God. And so he's pointing mm-hmm. that out to Bashir and Sisko and that, you know, we don't interfere with our God. You shouldn't interfere with our religion. And you have similar laws, so you need to be following those laws. And Bashir didn't. And thankfully, yes, his, you know, this boy ends up living, but then the mother and the boy are abandoned by the father because the father can't keep them as, as part of his, you know, I mean, he's like what, he's like a priest or something or whatever. And he can't, he can't have them anymore. So he disowns them. They can't even come back to their own planet. So in a lot of ways she Mm -hmm. sacrificed her family and her society and her loved ones just to save her son, and now she's on her own with him.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was an interesting finale to that plot line, and it's not quite what you would expect out of a Star Trek story as well. You know, generally you expect happy endings when it comes to Star Trek for the most part, um, Just especially generally for the week-to-week episodes, right? But um, I liked it. I thought it was a satisfying ending. You know, it wasn't like a happy ending, but I thought it was, it was satisfying for the storyline for sure. You know, and considering, like, it, it's interesting this this holy religion that they've got and considering how they were described as basically looking like death right you know like O'Brien makes the joke how they just you know sickle right earlier on in the uh in the book but uh it's it's very satisfying i liked it a lot
0: yeah they had red glowing eyes mm-hmm. and they you know very dark characters with red glowing eyes, except for the sun was, you know, his skin was discoloring. Yeah. He was sick and he didn't have that glow in his eyes.
1: One argument that I kind of kept expecting to be made that never really came up was, you know, at, at the end, I really thought Bashir would make the argument that, you know, their God brought them to the station. So how did he not know that it was maybe part of their God's plan that that they encounter Bashir who is able to cure them or something like that. You know, I, I it, it it's almost a testament to Peter David and, and the writing that they didn't take that route because I feel like that's almost a very rote Star Trek type argument. So I was like, oh, okay, here we go. They're going to convince him that, okay, no, it was all part of his God's plan to bring him here. And they didn't do that. And it ended very tragically for that family who were, you know, very obviously at, at loose ends, you know, the wife's kind of like, I don't know, I guess we'll go here. What does it matter? Which, you know, to me is a very tragic ending. You know, it, it's all hope is lost kind of thing. So uh, kudos to kind of sticking to that and 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 wanting that darker ending.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I was thinking the same thing when I read it. I expected them to say, how do you know what your God wants or what your God doesn't want? I mean your God brought you here you're here there's an opportunity to heal your son and obviously this is a gift from God that we have this available and that argument was never brought up that was never brought into things and that's that's something we discuss in religion all over this world of, you know, people's perceptions of what it is their God wants or doesn't want and what's given to them. Is it really from God or is it really from man and that's not brought about by by God? I mean, so these these debates go on all the time and I did expect to see a little bit of that in here, but I really, I enjoyed the fact that Bashir was determined to do what he wanted to do. I just questioned if it was the right thing to do. So we haven't really
1: talked about what the main plot of this story is what the main antagonist is and it turns out that there's this I, I guess you could call him a changeling or a shapeshifter of some kind it's never really explicitly stated that he is definitely one of odo's people but he's some sort of metamorph some sort of shapeshifting entity who's come aboard the station and he's an absolute psychopath so he kills, and they try to find a motive for his killing, and he doesn't really have one. He just enjoys it. It's it's what he's always done. So, you know, this shapeshifter, this changeling, this whatever he is, is running amuck on the station, uh, killing people, you know, basically a serial killer shapeshifter, which is pretty terrifying. And uh, so everyone on Deep Space Nine is, of course, trapped aboard the station because they can't let anyone go. And... Yeah, what did you guys think about um about his character and the role he played in the story?
2: There's uh there's a really interesting retcon that I like in this book that I like to especially now think about. Now, I'm going to give a little bit of a spoiler warning here if you guys I know you have, but if anybody listening hasn't read the David Mack uh Parallel Universe Section 31 novel, the last one that came out, right? Um, I'm going to give a spoiler for that, so you might want to come back in a second if you haven't read that yet. But in that book, they give an explanation for why Odo is so different from the rest of the Chainslings, but why they're similar, right? So, and in this book, the theory is that our Odo came from the mirror universe, right? And so in our universe, they're all... The, the, the changelings are all like they want to take over and they're all psychopaths and they want to dominate, dominate. And so this character kind of fits in with that. So in my kid Canon, he actually is a member of Odo species. So when you get to the other parallel universe, they're all they're all law and order and play by the rules. And so that's where our Odo came from is the mirror universe changelings, right? And so there was a cross when he went over and it's and so it explains why in crossover when you go to see the Odo over there, He's all crazy running that, you know, that ore processing station, right? So those those who've read the book will know what I'm talking about. But So to me, it fits with that continuity that this guy might be a crazy changeling, right? So I like that a lot. And I think it fits with other novels later on. I don't know. What do you guys think about that?
0: That's so awesome. I'm glad you pointed that out. That's why I like listening to the show. Oh, <laughs> wait, I'm on it too. But that's why I like listening
2: to the show.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I I kind of had
1: that same thought. and And I've always loved that explanation and it's kind of in in that novel just given as kind of a throwaway like huh i wonder if maybe they got switched at some point oh weird and then they move on and i i remember reading that and going oh
2: of course it's a great (laughs) great retcon i love it brilliant you know and
1: yeah it's such a brilliant move i love that yeah oh man it makes me want to Um, go back and reread that again
2: (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. anywho
1: yeah no so yeah his character like we said, he's just, he's just a serial killer, just a murderer and is absolutely crazy. One thing that I thought was really interesting, and of course, spoilers, we're talking about the book, we're spoiling the whole thing rotten. It's, it's been out for years. You should have read it by now. Unlike me who just read it. Um, (laughs) the ending, like how this, uh, this villain died. and, And again, we've talked about kind of how Peter David does things. And this is, Something that felt very familiar to me from Peter David books, this kind of horrific ending uh where he falls through the wormhole, and of course the wormhole's doing its thing and it's being all violent and crazy subspace compression, right. I think they call it, and he comes out the other end in a million pieces, just but he's not really dead, they're just individually all conscious and aware yes
0: that was cool. oh
1: man, that was cool, so he's just going to float as individual molecules through the vacuum for possibly billions of years, <laughs> unable to do it. How, how
0: do you in pieces as this shapeshifter changeling, get your pieces all back together when they're floating around in space? I mean, it's just infinite. <laughs> I mean, he's just, he'll just be out there as long as he can live and they can never put himself back together. He, did they even say he's a Humpty Dumpty or am I imagining that they couldn't put all the pieces back together
2: again? I don't remember that part.
0: Hmm, it could be. Okay, maybe I, yeah, th- I maybe that was in it. my mind, but it remind- maybe' me <laughs> think of Humpty Dumpty.
2: <laughs> I just was thinking about the ending yeah. to like the Lawnmower Man when like if the computer just gets like the computer program of the guy just gets like evaporated or whatever. But
1: <laughs> but yeah, going by physics, you know, there's just no way he can bring himself back together again. He's just going to drift further and further apart, and that's brutal. I don't know. Uh, have you guys read the novel Vendetta? Oh
2: yes. No, I haven't.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I won't spoil the ending then for you or the listeners who haven't read, uh, Vendetta, but there's, there's kind of a similar ending, uh, not, not the same as this, but just that similar idea where the antagonist just has this kind of horrific undoing that just is, uh, pretty brutal and pretty final. So,
0: (laughs) Yes. I think we will we will be reading that novel at some point on the show. Absolutely. It's on the list of Excellent. to do because that was one of my favorite novels back in the day and I haven't read that in forever. So I want to see if that still well, that's still.
2: That's great, because that'll give me a chance to finally read it.
0: There you go. Definitely. Yeah, it's a good one. I actually only read it a few years ago, and uh, yeah, it's it's excellent. I know because I read your review just the other day, actually, (laughs) that you posted. I think in 2011. That's how long ago it was. I think so, or
1: thirteen. Yeah, that's that's the year I first started that website. So that's that's a pretty old review.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How bad was my writing back then? Don't tell me.
2: (laughs) You spelled the wrong.
0: (laughs) Oh darn it again! I don't know. The whole review was all in pieces. I just couldn't put it all back together again. <laughs> Slowly drifting apart. Yeah.
1: Well, on that note, uh what are your kind of final thoughts and maybe a rating for Deep Space Nine number two, The Siege? Brandon, why don't you go I first?
2: like this book a lot. I'm really glad that we reread it for this. Um it's it's interesting to read it after so many years of the series being over, having watched the series so many times. It really feels like it could fit perfectly in somewhere in the first season and uh peter david's my favorite star trek writer i think he's absolutely fantastic um and it's it's nice to have a light read like it's not a long complicated read it's a shorter novel and uh sometimes it's fun to read those i like it a lot uh i'm gonna give it one viewing of triple x program number three
0: (laughs) (laughs) excellent Awesome. awesome okay so uh I don't recall that much the first time I read it back in 1993 when I was just a young lad. But, uh, and I had forgotten that this was a Peter David book until I picked it up. And I was like, Oh yeah, I forgot Peter David wrote this. And I have to say, I really enjoyed this. It's probably not my favorite of his books, but it's up there. And, it was great to go back to the old deep space nine because a lot of the novels take place after the series. So I would give this four and a half out of five O'Brien magic tricks
1: is that a good rating? Cause <laughs> although actually he did do the trick, right. It's just that Odo was very unimpressed. Yeah. Well, it. cause
0: he put the cards down and he says, now pick a card and Odo looks and he goes, yeah, okay. And O'Brien's like, okay, now look at your card. And Odo's just staring at the deck and O'Brien's like, well, look at the card. He goes, I am. I'm looking at the card. No, pick it up and look at it. <laughs> is this your card? No. No. They're your cards.
1: (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Ah, Yeah, that was that was cute. But yeah, no, I really enjoyed this one as well. Uh, I really appreciate Peter David's irreverent style of writing. And to tackle Deep Space Nine so early on in its run and to get so many things right, I think is not only a testament to Peter David's writing, but I would say probably also a testament to. The how well the creators of Deep Space Nine got the characters fully fleshed out in the series bible before it even started because so many of those character notes are bang on and to be able to extrapolate from that to create these characters and get so much of it right is just really really impressive um, again the the uber nerd in me can pick little tiny things here and there but the tapestry as a whole is just beautiful. Like it was a really well done book. couple little issues here and there don't detract from a really fun, really interesting story uh, with some parts that really made me think deeper than I thought this book would have me do. So I think I would have to give this one four out of five cards that aren't Odo's definitely a good novel.
0: Well, I'm so glad that we read that novel because I love Peter David books and and this one was right up there. And again, one of my favorite lines, I don't even remember who said it in the book, says Quark, you son of a space cow. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to use that from now on, you son of a space cow. (laughs) (laughs) I've been
1: seeing your Facebook updates lately. You've been calling a lot of people space cows. I think you've gone a little crazy with that. I've lost a lot of friends. (laughs) <laughs> well space cows aren't the only things we've been discussing on the trek fm network so here's a quick look at other things that we've been talking about on the network previously on trek.fm standard orbit my casting choices okay would be for ruck you got to go with dave batista right uh he's uh, drax in Guardians of the galaxy he played jinx in uh yeah inspector yeah, that Jinx? what's his name? Hanks, Mr. Hanks. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Hanks. That's the wrong James Bond film,
0: everybody. <laughs> the Six O Two Club. Going back to the Gotham thing
1: really quickly. I know this is semi derailing. Um, why would you want to move to Gotham? I mean, he has to have been there. It's like the picture that he has on his wall is this beautiful, shining, like daytime view. If I'm not mistaken, of Gotham, which I don't think we ever see. Um, it was like, I'm not really sure. Charm City looks quite nice. <laughs> like so. Saturday morning trek. It's very much like a continuation
2: of the original series. You know, what? you raise a very good point, and it's one we probably should have talked about earlier, is that we talk so much about the animation and the limitations of the medium that we forget about the writing. And overall, it's pretty strong throughout the run. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So
1: check out those shows. You can find them wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on iTunes, search for our podcasts there. And while you're there, give us a star rating and review if you have the time. That really helps us rise up in the search results and helps Trekkies everywhere find their favorite podcasts. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find us on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, basically any of the podcatchers that you normally use to listen to your favorite podcasts. Another way you can help keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's patreo ncom slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels, along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks can include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to thank our associate producers, Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, some dude named Brandon Shamutala, and Norman Lau for their support of the Trek FM That network, Brandon Shamutala, he's a son of a pa- for space the- cow. oh that guy i tell (laughs) you oh i didn't realize you were still here huh um
0: (laughs) thank you brandon thank you thank you thank you
1: (laughs) thank you so much for being an associate producer on literary treks we really
2: appreciate
1: it well before we go brandon why don't you tell everybody where we they can find you. Well,
2: and I'm not in Quarks Hollow Suites. You can find me here on the network with new episodes of Melodic Treks and new episodes of Warp Five, having lots of fun over there on the Annex01. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Brandon and I'm slowly juggling and starting to get another podcast started on Alfred Hitchcock Podcast. Uh so if you want to check out my Twitter account, which has been set up, it's at Good EveningPod um you can find me every once in a while poking my head up in the babel conference and i'm the patreon manager for the network so if you have questions about uh patreon or anything like that you can get in touch with me and bruce where can people find you when you're not doing a terrible job at doing magic tricks
0: well you can find me on the streets begging for money or you can find me on twitter at admiral underscore rex And you can also find me on the Star Wars Report podcast where we talk about, mm, I don't know, Star Wars. You can check me out there with uh, Riley Blanton and Mark Herleman. And uh, you can always find me in the Babel Conference because if I'm not posting anything in there, oh my, yes, I am reading what all you fun people are posting in there and having a good time reading it. And so, Dan, let me ask you, if when you're not saying odo looks a little pale
1: where can people find you well you can find me on twitter i'm at kurt Rats. that's k-e-r-t-r-a-t-s you can find me on youtube.com slash kurt productions facebook.com slash productions uh you can probably find me on reddit i'm a kurt Rats there i'm kurt Rats everywhere just search kurt Rats, you'll find me and uh, chances are that wherever you find me, I'll be talking about Star Trek. That
2: would really suck if Odo were to kick the bucket.
1: Oh, ho, 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 ho. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, those were pretty bad. But, uh, but I appreciate a good pun. So that was, that was fun. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for listening. And until next time. Live long. And read on.
2: You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.